Hi, I'm Joe Sheeran, and welcome to the Dealmaker Series. This show highlights some of our most interesting deals by talking to the entrepreneurs and the dealmakers behind them. Today, we're talking about ECI's recent investment in Zenergy, an energy and sustainability consultancy to the education, healthcare, and social housing sector. I'm delighted to be joined by Graham Cook, the CEO of Zenergy, as well as Alex Hartley, the KPMG partner who led on the deal. Hi, guys. How are we doing this morning or this afternoon, should I say? Hi, Joe. Well, good. Thank Hi, you. Joe. First of all, I just want to say congrats on the deal. Um, it's, it was an amazing deal, really, from what I've heard. And thanks, Graham, for joining us. I really appreciate it. So just to kick off, Graham, it'd be great to hear a little bit more about yourself, your journey, as well as Zenergy's story. Yeah, great. Um, so great to be here, by the way. Um, I think from from our perspective, it was a great deal, you know, one that, one that we enjoyed. And I guess for me, I started in the energy industry with Yorkshire Electricity back in the 90s. Um, we then sort of were formed into Empower. Um, so I did about 12 years in the energy supply um, side of the industry, um, which was quite interesting. Um, then coming into the energy consultancy world with Zenergy back in 2010. So we did an original MBO. Um, we've been through one round of, of sort of private equity funding um, already, uh, which was very enjoyable, very successful. Um, and that sort of led us to, to KPMG, actually. And, and for me, having had that experience in the energy industry, um, you know, it, it, it's one that has served us really well in terms of understanding how we can add value as a business and how we can create value as part of the private equity ownership. So. And how has the energy sector changed over over that time? Um, well, it certainly we're very popular at the moment. Let's put yeah. it that way. So, um, <laughs> we've uh, we've never been so popular. So I, I think for us, um, I, you know, back in the nineties, we had sort of pool pricing. We had the new electricity trading arrangement when when prices were first became a tradable commodity. Um, and I often used to speak. So back in two thousand and eight, we had the highest price we'd ever seen was a hundred pound a megawatt hour. Um, to put that into context, we've been seeing prices up north of £400 a megawatt hour um, wow. and on the on the sort of day ahead market, north of six or £700 a megawatt hour recently. So um, really quite frightening, actually. And, and, you know, something that, you know, we, we collectively need to resolve um, as an economy to be able to move forward. But I think, you know, now more than ever, customers need our advice. Um, you know, they need our expertise and our experience to guide them through these times. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to help wherever we can. But what I would say is we haven't got we haven't got a magic wand. Um, and, you know, yeah. the, the circumstances we find ourselves in are, are pretty unprecedented at the moment. And how has Zenergy changed, like from an energy services type consultancy to what you do more like addressing the net zero agenda now, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think for um, Zenergy, we were a regional consultancy based in Southampton um, that very much focused on customer service. Um, and we were four or five people when I joined. So I wasn't the founder of Zenergy. Um, I, I came in to, to help the husband and wife team that, um, you know, were uh, leading the business at the time. Um, but we've absolutely transformed the business in terms of going from that four or five people to 220 people that we are today. Um, and we, we've we um, also built out a full 
end-to-end service proposition that, as you say, includes net zero, people going on that journey to um, being carbon neutral, um, as well as the the uh, heritage and the history that we've built in providing a, a world-class customer service for energy procurement, bill validation, and contract and supplier management. So through that journey, we've um, kind of increased our footprint, if you like, across the UK. So we've now got six offices across the UK, um, and we've got around about 70 engineers that provide those technical services um, for um, businesses and organizations that, you know, require that, um, you know, that, that, that set of services from us. Right. And you've done some acquisitions, I hear, as well. Yeah, we have. We've been busy with acquisitions. We've done, uh, I think, six to date. Um, as part of that was about that sort of um, regional focus. So for us, it's really important for us to be close to our customers um, and service them locally. So we we were our head office was in Southampton originally. We had already added a uh, regional or sort of satellite office, if you like, in um, Colchester. Um, and then as part of the sort of August equity um, uh investment cycle um we had a sort of model where we'd have a salesperson in an area they would you know um convince a group of customers to join us um and then we'd reach a certain level and we'd look to put a local office there so we were already in traction in terms of um salespeople in manchester and in birmingham and then we bought a business in manchester and we bought a business in birmingham so um you know that was really um useful to us i think the the kind of strategy behind the acquisitions though is not just about adding numbers um it is about adding good people um yes. and also adding value to either our customers um or to us internally in terms of new products and services um so yeah we've uh, we've been on an exciting journey and uh, and, and and grown quite rapidly actually yeah sounds really interesting and Alex, just from your point of view, I know you've been doing lots of deals in the energy services sector. What what are you seeing in the sector over the past few years? Yeah, I mean, consistent with some of the, the themes that Graham said, actually. I mean, I, I got involved, um, my first day in the sector was back in 2013 when we we sold Utility Group to um, to North Edge. And that, that was on the whole sort of deregulation of the UK market, the, the, the boom in sort of new entrant energy suppliers where we then had the, I think it was the, the, the big six at the time. Um, so, you know, it was a, a fast changing market that was growing a new sort of ecosystem around it. And then you look at some of the headline themes that are sort of sort of pertinent at the moment, you know, the whole obviously decarbonisation, the move to net zero and the sort of services that sit around that, the certainly digitization of the sector as well. You, you look at, you know, rollout of smart meters, half hourly settlement, um, carbon reporting, you know, the ability to do things with data, um, you know, is, is pretty, you know, di differentiates. And, you know, I think it's, it's a sector as well in, you know, Graham said it, customer experience is paramount, you know, and there is an emphasis on, you know, any service provider that can navigate, you know, the customer through the industry specific challenges. And, you know, you, you look at the moment that is things like, you know, energy, energy prices spiking, you know, movement in the price cap, um, net, you know, all, all the regulatory drivers that are coming in, annual reporting, carbon report. It, it's, you know, <laughs> there is so much going on. And, and in the last 10 years, so much has happened. So, you know, businesses that didn't exist, exist today and, you know, have, have scaled to quite a, a significant size so you know it's no 
yeah, no surprise that advisors and, and investors have become very interested in in this space. And the UK has been, you know, probably when you look globally, one of the markets that's been at the forefront of of that change. And some of you know European um, markets are sort of following suit. So yeah, I think I think the UK is at the vanguard in in this sector. Great, thanks, Alex. And just back to you, Graham. In terms of the timing and looking for a new investment. How did you go about that? Um, so I, I think in a way, and, and, and perhaps not so much by design, I think we were a classic case of um, of what KPMG would describe as um, of a long-standing relationship that, that kind of is ahead of its time. So, you know, we worked with KPMG early. Um, you know, we, we did some work to understand, you know, um each other i suppose as part of the process and and we went away to do some work and you know we then re-engaged so I, I think it was a really sort of useful um exercise in terms of um then being ready at the right moment to sort of um engage with with potential uh, acquirers so um one thing I, I you know i said a number of times but alex and the team were really good at guiding us on the right kind of people that we should be speaking to so you know we hadn't really engaged with people um uh, outside of you know our, our existing investors at the time um but one of the really kind of strong um requirements from our perspective was to make sure that we found somebody that matched our values and our ethics and the way that we do business um and you know this this isn't my world you know i i don't know these people as well as alex does for instance so it, it was really valuable to understand that we weren't wasting our time we were speaking to the right people um and that you know um we we could um be confident that they would support us in in that next phase of our journey because you know it won't be without challenges and you know kind of we need to make sure we've got you know the right people um with the right capability and the right bandwidth to uh to assist us with that so um yeah it was a it was a really kind of uh i i don't know about you alex but it's quite a classic case of let's work together over a over a reasonable period of time wasn't it, in the it, end? it yeah it was it was a longer journey than, than we anticipated wasn't it because we, we were appointed in february 2000 well, and then that's a good time started sort of getting lined <laughs> up and sort of having our sort of kickoff meetings and then obviously well it was funny actually because we i think we, we were with um dave the the, the cfo having a kickoff meeting on the financials that we had in London. And one of the uh, one of the members of the team shall remain nameless, started feel it, feeling ill the day after that meeting, that, that sort of in-person meeting. He'd just come back from a ski trip and then sort of tested positive for COVID the next day. So we, you know, the, the, the kickoff of the project was, so we all, we all ended up quarantining for the first two weeks of it, thinking we'd all caught COVID. So, yeah, and, and schools, you know, schools were impacted in the, the early phase of COVID. So, I think what what that meant we could do, and you know, whilst we're all growing our hair a bit longer, we actually spent a, quite a bit of time with Graham and the team going through what's the you know we have got some time. What is you know, it's, it, and it probably we're, we're putting it on hold for now, and we'll we'll, we'll sort of see what the, what the market looks like and when when we come out the other side of COVID. But we did quite a lot of work together around the, the sort of the equity story, and you know, understanding the business, what you know, all, all these. You know, acquisitions, adjacent markets, product capabilities, you know, so so much opportunity within the business. How do you profile that and position it for the growth story? And then actually, after we'd done that sort of brainstorming exercise, it meant we, we understood the business a lot better. But we could then, 
sort of with, with the management team put some you know tracking in place for how to measure the you know the the, the sort of evolution of the themes of that equity story and it meant that it you know it was it was more ultimately by the time that we did then press the button you know 2021 you, you know the, 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 it was a more evolved sort of th thesis on the uh, on on the opportunity and the the, the growth limbs levers within it yeah so covid almost did you a little bit of a favor with that, in the, in that regard it, yeah, it gave you time didn't it in, in a way, it meant we got some time together to reflect on, you know, the, the, the business, but do it over a, a longer period and get to know each other more. You know, that it wasn't straight into process and, and then, you know, able to look with COVID in the rearview mirror. And then, you know, the M&A market came back with a vengeance in 2021. So it was right that, you know, the, the business is where it needs to be. The market's where it needs to be. Let's sort of let's now choose the, the the timing to you know pick, pick the right pick the right partners who understand the market and you know let's let's go for it for forge forward and alex just then you're talking about the equity story it'd be really interesting just to hear about how you intertwined kind of esg into that story and how that really added value to the deal yeah i mean it's, it's interesting i mean I, I i think so impact investing has been it's been out or impact or ESG. It probably didn't have the uh, the acronym ESG, but it you know that has been there for 15, 20 years. But it you know it's definitely come into the mainstream that all funds have a focus and and are measured by their uh, LPs on you know their, their own ESG strategy. But you know a strong leaning towards investments that can you know exhibit you know ESG sort of facets to their their business model and you know this whole. You know, energy, the energy transition, the move to net zero, the ability, you know, the, the, the bit of the business that Zenergy has you, you know, grown here and it, you know, is the trusted partner. It does take its clients on the journey. You know, it, it, it had a strong thread of the ESG theme running through it. And, you know, the, the, the investor as procurement, energy procurement was a sort of bet, bet, better understood by the private equity sort of investors because there have been a few a few platform investments but you know Zenergy had this technical services or net zero capability to the business that really was a you know, in the eyes of the investors a sort of di di differentiator compared to some of their peers and you know it, it heightened interest and you know not, not just for Zenergy but where we've seen other um, businesses that have that that sort of ESG lens to them that does heighten interest from investors. Yeah, and as I say, it's, it's in the mainstream now. And where you get heightened interest in, in, from investors, it does, you know, we have seen it drives value as well. And I think that was, you know, that, that was the case here that, it, you know, it, it, it underpinned interest. And I think ultimately helped drive the valuation as well. I think was Great. too as well, Alex. We, we spoke about it as part of the... Um part of the process didn't we but we we were there genuinely providing these services you know it wasn't um you know it wasn't as creating a story or you know trying to tap into something that was the latest conversation people wanted to have you know we're we're there with the boots on the ground um delivering it every day you know yeah yeah it was core is what you're trying to say there Graham not yeah. just a story was it <laughs> absolutely so Graham we all know deals don't always go kind of to plan. And it'd be great to hear from you just some of the challenges you faced along the way. 
Yeah, I think, like you say, they always take longer than than you give them credit for, I guess. Um, I, I think, you know, something that I've um, gained through experience is, is that understanding that, you know, you, you have to... Um, you have to separate that from the day job, um, you know, and the day job, you know, does have to take a back seat for a period of time. So, you know, I think that's definitely something that we, um, you know, are increasingly aware of. I think as we move through, you know, it was it was probably less so first time around, you know, more so again, again this time. But um, I think, you know, aside from the point around COVID and the, and the um, reality of, um you know, the uncertainty that that created uh, for a lot of businesses. I think for us, we were able to help people understand, you know, the impact and um, and, and therefore the recovery for us, um, which was which was actually a strength rather than a negative. But um, I think, you know, it, it was a relatively smooth process. I mean, Alex will know better than me in terms of, um, you know, the different versions of, of processes that don't go quite so well. But as much as it took, a reasonable length of time. I, I, I do think, you know, it was a successful process that, um, you know, you, you wouldn't change too much on reflection. You know, I think we we spoke to, you know, a number of people initially and all those people wanted to know more. You know, they, they were interested to receive further information and, you know, it was really, um, you know, positive response, I guess, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the conversations we were having. So, you know, I don't know whether you've got any thoughts on that, Alex. Yeah, I mean, I, I think fundamentally the yeah COVID or the, the first wave of COVID was in the rearview mirror. The the fundamentals of the business were exceptionally strong. You as a team were exceptionally you know re really backable. Um, we had to navigate a few things. You know, energy prices were starting to spike sort of through the process. There was the Omicron sort of noise as we hit December, and you know what was the outlook for schools as we came into this year, and you know ultimately that the noise faded around that for me there were things that we yeah, maybe took a month or two longer than we probably would have um sort of targeted but i think that was because we took the time to narrate you know some things did happen around the market that you know have an impact on the business and we therefore had to narrate what that meant for the business and what it meant for the for the outlook and you just got to i think you just got to take the time to do that carefully and you know fundamentally a good business is a good business and but th there are there are things that happen in a market that you need to react to and mm -hmm. you know I just I just think that for me it's that you know, even if it means you, you slightly elongate your, your timelines take the time that you need to put the right story across Mm. Yeah, I suppose it's interesting that uh, ever the optimist, I guess, but you know, I, I didn't necessarily see them as, um, you know, when, when you when you mentioned that, I think actually, yeah, I suppose there were, were a few things we navigated. I, I suppose when I look at it, I sort of think, you know, the more I'm involved in in, in private equity um, transactions, the more positive I am about the due diligence process and how good that is as a well-oiled machine that makes sure you've got all the right information and all the, um, you know, the the um, Kind of checks and balances that you need along the way um and, and i suppose you know for me um that there's an art i guess to making sure that you're not underselling yourself um but equally that you're providing a credible plan that you know you know you can go and deliver because at times you have 
you know, a foot in both camps, I guess, as a seller and a, and a buyer. Um, so, you know, I, I guess that's from my experience, um, you know, as, as, as CEO. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, overall a, a positive outcome and, and, and a positive experience, I think. Thanks, Graham. And Alex, just anything to add in terms of highlights for you in regards to this deal? Um, I mean, we, it's funny because we, we, we're doing this. We, we were together last week because we we had a, a completion dinner, which you know, for, for, you know, haven't had one of those since sort of COVID. You know, it was good, it was good to get back to you know doing the sorts of things we've you know, historically done. It was one of those completion dinner. You know, it, it was management, it was the advisors, August Equity were there, and it you know it, it, it had a real feel good to that. You know, because d- deals at time, you know. People do get tired, emotions do get raised, but fundamentally, there were, we, I think everyone built a really strong relationship on this deal and re- reflected on the the outcome. As you know, every I think friendships form, don't they? And you two two you sort of two years is quite a long time to work together, but I don't think it's the end. Of, I don't think it's the end of the, the journey of you know that the, there's things we'll keep doing in the sector which will be of interest to Graham and you know, with ECI's backing that. Yeah, you're going to be acquisitive going forward. So I think that, you know, this feels like a relationship that will continue and reflecting on one point of the journey that's a good one, but provides the platform for for more exciting times, hopefully. And yeah, that's, that's a good feeling as an advisor. Great. Thanks, Alex. So just wrapping up this part of the podcast, what key lessons have you learned? Should we start with you, Graham? Yeah, so I, it's interesting because I think you know you, you do become a little bit reflective after after um, you know such a uh, an intense period, I suppose, in terms of the process. But I think one of the things I would say is that it, it's actually to trust your own experience and ability. So um, you know there are lots of advisors, lots of people involved, lots of opinions. Um, but really, and, and, and I think Alex said said it to me at, at some stage along the way as well. But it, it, it's fair to say that. That nobody knows your business like you do, you know, and has that passion um, that someone buying your business wants to see. Um, you know, I think I think that's a, um, an important thing to try and get across and, and you know, kind of remember as, as you're going through that process. I mean, you know, data can be sliced, diced, carved up in any which way, you, you know, you want it to be and, and, and presented, um, you know, and, you know, that that's value. But, you know. I guess there's also value in explaining how you can achieve great things as a result of, you know, the platform that you've built and the foundation that you've got. So, um, yeah, I think that's my sort of takeaway. And I guess as we move forward in our journey, you know, there'll be there'll be more people, um, you know, trying to help. But it's also about understanding why your business is special and, and you know, kind of um, what that enables you to create. Thanks, Graham. And you, Alex? Yeah, I, th- I think mine's probably with a sort of advisor's lens on that. You know, we've, we've been through an interesting couple of years where there was a, a forced upon us a, a, a sort of environment where vi- deals became, you know, we executed them almost front to end virtually. And th- this was one where we were able to sort of drive the efficiencies of some of, you know, qu- jumping onto calls quickly, addressing D- DD call, you know, certain more routine calls could do efficiently through the virtual model. But I think it was one where there is no substitute for meeting. If you're going to get the right investor, meet the investor, 
spend some time with them, get to know them, um, build a relationship in sort of the, the, the old fashioned way. And, you know, we're one of the investors that meant us sitting outside in the rain of a restaurant <laughs> through through sort of COVID because there were limited space inside. But, you know, I think I, I come back to if, you, if you're trying to find a partner and, you know, and, and towards the end of a deal where you're trying to navigate some challenges, you you do need we, that's still better achieved when you can you, you know you, you're there in, in in person and and sort of can can read each each other a bit more yeah completely makes sense we still need to see each other face to face don't we to build those relationships that's not gone for sure yeah, yeah um, I agree. not at all great Th thanks both so we're just going to move on and take a quick look at you both kind of the deal makers um learn a bit more about you from a personal perspective. So Graham, can we just start with you? It'd be great to hear, you know, what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you first started out? Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I'm going to caveat this with the fact that I'm, I'm aware I'm the youngest CEO that uh, August Equity have ever had a successful exit with. So um, I, I'm not taking the view that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much, uh, you know, I've, I've gained that wisdom just yet, if you like. But I, I do think, you know, the world of private equity to me is a world that creates a lot of value. Um, and I think once you're involved in that, you've had that experience, you see it, you know, in the real world in lots of different ways. Um, and yet, OK, in lots of industries, there are, you know, um, not so good stories and things that don't work out. But actually, I've seen firsthand, you know, the value that it can create, the value that, advisors can um, bring to businesses in order to help them on that journey. Um, and, and I think that's a really positive one. So I think if I was giving somebody advice starting out, you know, I'd be able to help them with with that positive um, perspective on, on what it can be. Um, you know, for me, you can never forget that hitting your numbers is, is clearly going to make that process and that um, you know, uh, experience a whole lot more positive. Um, and we were fortunate that, you know, we, we've absolutely delivered on what we said we were going to do. Um, so I'm under no illusions that that may well have been different if we, you know, if we hadn't have, uh, have been able to do that. But um, yeah, I think I think that's the that's the perspective I would take for, for somebody that, that hasn't had that, that sort of um, insight and involvement in that world. Great. Thanks, Graham. And you, Alex, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I suppose um, for me, it's maybe maybe sort of be be yourself ra rather than what you think people want you to be. And you know, I, th I think this you know, re reflecting on coming into the world of corporate finance and you know, investors, and you, you, I think authenticity with your you know clients, invest counterparties, investors, and your colleagues is actually pretty fundamental. And, you know, we, we, we operate in an environment of you know, foundation of getting what we done, what, what we do done is, is often sort of trust, you know, and integrity. And, and therefore, by operating with authenticity, I think you can genuinely deliver better outcomes. And, you know, the, that has been, a, you know, I'm 20 years into my career in corporate finance. And I think I would say maybe didn't recognize in the first few years of my career the not that I was operating without trust or integrity, but more yeah. the, the the sort of need to be yourself point is that that you know so that might not work for some client client you know that they'll, they'll sort of better chemistry with other advice, but you know 
who you are is what you are and that's what you should present to who you work with and who you're going to work for as a, as a client and yeah hold, hold sort of pretty dear to that um that sort of line of thought now thanks alex and having worked with you you're definitely a lovely guy to work with so keep doing that <laughs> would be my advice back to you, Thank you. um just move, just looking i've heard graham um that you are like a major you love to travel so <laughs> Obviously, we haven't been able to do that for the past couple of years. So I'd love to hear from you. You know, what have you been planning? What's your big trip that you're going to go on? Um, well, I, I, unfortunately, um, COVID did uh, put a block to a few plans. So we were supposed to go to the Olympics over in Tokyo um, and then on to Australia. So uh, that was uh, um, a bit of a disappointment that uh, clearly... You know, the Olympics is unlikely to be in Tokyo again in my lifetime, I think. But um, we are we are heading to Australia this summer, hopefully third time lucky. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to um, sort of make our way around the, the sites. Interestingly, we we uh, we kind of put it on hold originally because we didn't think our daughter was old enough to do some of the things that we wanted to do, like the bridge climb and stuff like that in Sydney. Yeah. But as it turns out, she's about three or four years older than she needs to be now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like fun, definitely. Oh, jealous. And you, Alex? Any any holidays? Yeah, planned? I mean, I, I remember having a lunch with Graham. I think in Leeds back in I think it was in two thousand, where he was telling about his Olympics plans. I think he, he went. He took his kids at late notice to the, the Wembley. Was it Wembley final of football? And that, yeah, obviously, you're, you're which, yeah, yeah. Which centre parks can I tell him? that I go to you know that, that's been you know we, we are notorious for our UK state staycations and I think um I think where I my my kids keep talking about you know they've got friends the world has opened up they've got friends who are going to Disneyland a few of them went to Lapland last year I think I I need to get over the tight Yorkshireman sort of <laughs> outlook and and get my hand in my pocket and take them to somewhere they want to go before they're too old to appreciate it um so yeah that's that's a, that's a conversation i probably need to have with my wife at the weekend yeah looking forward to hearing about that one alex <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so next question is just around what have you read or listened to recently that has inspired you and alex tells me that he's been way too busy to really do anything except read probably to his kids i'm hoping peppa pig or something like that and cycling a magazine so we're going to focus on you graham on this question <laughs> no problem. Um, I, I, thankfully, my kids are uh, are old enough not to uh, not to want Peppa Pig on anymore. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm, a, I'm a sort of active TED Talk listener actually. So um, I love sort of that real bite sized, you know, twenty minutes. Um, you know, in terms of that that chance to reflect and 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 take your mind away from you know what what you are focusing on on any given day. I think I, I'm always open. Have an open mind, I really, you know, in terms of considering new ideas and new perspectives. But uh, you know, in terms of kind of books, I suppose, and 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 reading that, I, I do read a lot of books as well. The last two I read was uh, A Life by James Dyson um, and A Few Wise Words, which is sort of a collection of thoughts from successful people. I think is brought together by Lord Mervyn Davis. But um, I, I just think for me. It, you know, it's it's a really um, it's been a really interesting time with COVID. A lot of people have you know taken time to reflect and taken time to reassess things in their life, if you, if you like. And um, 
you know, I, I think it's really important to get different perspectives. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of books actually out now that look really interesting in terms of how people have handled that that period of time and how they've come out of it and, and sort of um, how they feel differently. So I'm looking forward to get getting stuck into some of those, actually. Yeah, brilliant. Lots of things on uh, well-being and resilience and just getting through the past two years, isn't it? So yeah. really interesting times. The, the one, I suppose the one, Joe, that I the I, I read the odd cycling. I keep nearly killing myself on my bike. So now that I can't go out on it, I, I read cycling books. And the, <laughs> the, 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 one, the one that I sort of most read was the Mark Cavendish biography, you know, Tour de Force, where, you know, you, you look at, you know, each pe people have their own view on, you know, battling in the face of adversity. But, there, you know, there's a guy that was written off um you know had his epstein bar virus didn't he and you know he, he's come back to to dominate again and you know that, again there's a sort of thread of sort of the story of resilience in that isn't there and but it, it, a spectacle of of sort of coming back and proving the doubters wrong and you know that that for me it's in it's is a bit of an annoying git at, at times but <laughs> there's a you know there's a there's a story within it about tenacity resilience and and you know going for it um yeah I, I really, I really, you know and watching you know the, the giro d'italia is on at the moment and he's he's doing it again he's also mr authentic just coming back to that conversation earlier isn't he yeah he's what you see is what you get with him yeah, for sure exactly. So just to um, conclude, I'm really keen to hear from both of you about what advice you'd have for future sellers. So, Cram, should we start with you? Well, I think I touched on a few points earlier in terms of the process and, you know, trusting yourself. Um, I guess the, the, the other thing, back to um, Alex's authenticity point, really, is that, you know, that we don't have to feel like we we have to do things in a certain way in order to succeed or cross the line or you know um behave in a certain way for me zenergy is a great example as to how you can do business in the right way but you can still succeed you can still deliver those numbers and you can still delight your customers so i i think that would be um you know a, a an important point for me in terms of helping people understand what that means for them it'll be different for obviously different people and and how they go about their business but um yeah i think it's it, i think it's about knowing who you are and, and and making sure that you um you know kind of stay true to that i you know um throughout your your journey thanks graham and and alex yeah i mean i suppose it was, it was slightly um born by circumstance on this but the you know we, we ultimately started working together on this two years <laughs> ahead of the, the the ultimate outcome and whilst that, that wasn't sort of every week working together intensely it did give that front end of the foot on the ball moment of let's debate what the business is what the facets are how we position them and there's a runway to realizing this the, the, you know the story against some of these sort of key threads of opportunity and I think I think that, that there is something in that that a run, you know, an early, an early appointment of an advisor does give a bit more sort of foot, foot on the ball time to, you know, and, and relationship building time. That fundamentally, when you then come to the bit, the, the phase at the end, which should be three months of intensity, well, it that front end usually makes the back end go a lot, a lot better. So I, I don't think I don't think there's any re. You know, People who are thinking about an exit should shouldn't just think about it 
three months before they want it to happen. I think there is a, you know, the, the, the sort of 12 to 18 month period ahead of it probably is the, the optimum to you know, build the relationship, everyone gather around the, the sort of the understanding of the business and choose the right time to then um, and sort of press the button on the, the sort of formal stage. I think just to add to that, Joe, as well, my, my CFO will be proud because it's a line he rolls out quite regularly. But, um, you know, he, he often says that good advice is is really worth paying for, um, you know, and I, I think that's definitely true, you know, um, across, you know, uh, a number of advisors. But when you're thinking about selling your business, you, you really do need good advice um, and, and sort of cutting corners isn't um, isn't going to be helpful to anybody along the way. Thanks, Graham. Appreciate it. Uh, so just to i'd love to hear about um any exciting plans that synergy have got going forward obviously the market's still a bit volatile to say the least but it'd be great to hear what what your plans are over the next year or so um yeah so lots lots um lots in the pipeline lots of exciting things happening um some potential acquisitions that we are looking at um that will help um, transform uh, us as a business again and take us, you know, further along that journey. Um, I think the one I would sort of highlight, though, is one of our strategic priorities for this year is to lead and innovate. Um, and for me, that is about not doing the same things that the industry has done for the last 20 years. You know, um, there'll be new players in our market. There'll be new technology available now. Um, and, you know, um, as we've already talked about, you know, lots of interest in the sector as a result of, you know, the ESG and the net zero agenda. Um, and I want us to be at the forefront of that. You know, I want us to be leading by example in, 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 in a way um, that we know we can do business in the right way to produce the right results. Um, so I'm personally really excited about, you know, the, the plans that we've got and, and the initiatives we've got in motion to, to make that happen um and uh you know hopefully um demonstrate that uh you know the the net zero objective that the entire planet has got is actually possible yeah and i guess that synergy is at the cutting edge of that leading the way yeah absolutely brilliant well that's all we have time for today so i just want to say thank you so much to you both i mean what great insights really enjoyed it um and I hope everyone else enjoyed it too. So we will see you soon.